Our gospel lesson today, which we'll also hear about in the sermon, is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. And I'll say this again during the sermon because I hope that you don't forget it. This is the only miracle story in all four gospels. That is how important it is. So those of you who've engaged in Bible study, this is going to sound really familiar. Many of you know this story anyway because it's very common in our culture. And it's also common because it's in all four Gospels. We hear it every year multiple times. It's because it's so important. And Matthew wrote the story this way. It's from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. He says, when, now when Jesus heard this, and he's referring to Jesus hearing about the beheading of his cousin, John the Baptist. So Jesus is hearing tough news about the loss of a relative. And Matthew writes, now when Jesus heard this, Jesus withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed Jesus on foot from the towns. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to the disciples, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. The disciples replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. Can I get an amen that you've heard this story before? The disciples said, we don't have anything but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, bring it here to me. Then Jesus ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven. And he blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Here ends the reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Well, good morning. This is a true story about a woman who teaches first grade in Toronto, Canada. And the teacher was teaching math to a class of six-year-olds, including a group of newly arrived refugee children. And the lesson that day in the class was on fractions. The teacher explained the difference between a quarter and a half in fractions. How many of you have had kids that have worked on this? They had to learn the difference between, Sean's raising his hand, raising his hand, they had to learn the difference between a quarter and a half. So the teacher asked the class to write down whether they would prefer to have a quarter piece of chocolate or a half piece of a chocolate bar. And the teacher was surprised by the results of that little quiz. Again, true story. As she looked over their papers, the teacher noticed that many of the refugee students wrote that they preferred the quarter of a chocolate bar instead of the half. They preferred the smaller piece instead of the bigger piece. The teacher was concerned that the students had not understood the lesson. 
but perhaps because she had read Brene Brown on Daring to Lead and the Courage of Vulnerability, before correcting the students, she asked them why they chose a quarter of the chocolate bar rather than the half. And one little girl answered, so that more people could have a piece of chocolate. That was how she answered her math. She wanted the smaller piece so that more people could have a piece of chocolate. So two groups of children looked at the same thing, a chocolate bar, and one group saw a delicious snack while the other saw an opportunity to share something good with others. This ties into our gospel story today. How many of you have heard this gospel story before? The feeding of the 5,000 or whatever iterations, five loaves, two fish, and, and Jesus, I love this, five loaves, two fish, and Jesus. That actually sounds like a country song. So someone, I think that would make a good country song. Well, in some ways, the feeding of the 5,000 is misleading because Matthew tells us it was 5,000 men plus women and children. So if each man had a wife and some children, it was actually more than 10,000 people. And that's a lot of people to have to feed. So maybe it was the size of the crowd that was on hand to see this feeding miracle. Maybe it was the importance of this event in the ministry of Jesus. Maybe it was the unmistakable lesson that compassion was Jesus's default setting. And that's quotable. Compassion was Jesus's default setting. First and foremost, Jesus' miracles involved compassion for others. Maybe it was because Jesus said to the disciples, the people need not go away, you give them something to eat. Whatever the lesson was that day, none of the gospel writers missed it. This is the only miracle story included in all four gospels. Did you know that? It's the only one, the only miracle story that's included in all four Gospels. Read the story again today. See how it speaks to you. All four Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, included in their Gospel this morning's story about Jesus' miraculous feeding of all these people. And it's something that I like to call a bread miracle. It's It's a bread miracle. It's part of our communion litany today, a bread miracle. It's a miracle whose telling has survived the ages because we human beings need a miracle, don't we? We need to know that it's not all up to us, don't we? Especially during this time. Because life's struggles are real, right? You can answer me online too, right? But life's struggles are real. This isn't about some hypothetical life that we're all living. The struggle is real. Can I get an amen? How many of you have struggled during this pandemic or struggled at some point in your life? Well, the struggle is as real now as it was back then. And just like when the disciples discovered when they faced this sea of hungry people, themselves included, life struggles are as real as that recurring rumble in our bellies before every mealtime. Struggle is an unavoidable part of life. And lest we forget that spiritual truth, today's earlier scripture reading by Hank about Jacob's struggle is our reminder. 
So I want to do just a little bit of teaching from the Hebrew Bible. How many of you have heard of Jacob before in the Bible? He was a complex biblical and historical figure. Raise your hand or let us know online if you've heard of Jacob before. He is central to the three Abrahamic faith traditions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Did you know that? He is central to all three. I think that's a really cool fact when we look at what it means to be in interfaith relations. So I'll give you just the very short version. The short version of Jacob's story is that he had 12 sons. And those 12 sons would become the progenitors, the founders, the birth parents of the 12 tribes of Israel. But before we get to all of that auspiciousness in the Bible, we hear about Jacob's struggle. And who remembers Jacob's struggle with the angel from our Route 66 year-long Bible study class? Now, I know some people in the class are like, "Eh, a year is a short time to study the Bible. We're not sure. But how many of you, let me know online if you remember the story. I don't know. Hank, do you remember the story before you read it again today about Jacob's struggle with the angel? And Hank is nodding. Yes. Well, the story seems to appear out of nowhere in Genesis. And as I mentioned earlier, it does nothing to advance the plot line in the narrative about the rise and the return of Jacob. That's one of the things that makes it so interesting. It does nothing to advance the plot line. Yet, theologian Joan Chittister wrote an entire book about this particular biblical narrative called Scarred by Struggle, Transformed by Hope. Who's heard about this book? If you haven't heard about this book, I urge you to read it. It might take you a while, but it's really good. It's called Scarred by Struggle, Transformed by Hope. It's particularly relevant now. Sister Chittister, she's a Catholic nun, writes that in Jacob's story lies the stuff of struggle, the real process of change, the secrets of a spirituality of letting go and going on despite the pain. I like that, the spirituality of letting go and going on despite the pain. And Joan Chittister helped me understand. I had a chance to hear her speak. I got to study her book in seminary um, uh, with Bishop Judy Craig in a class on spirituality. I was really, really transformed by this book some years ago. But Joan Chittister helped me understand Jacob's struggle as an archetype, a paradigm for struggle in life. She explains it this way. She said, struggle is a process of pitfalls and challenges, which, if met, become hope, even though you will be left limping by the struggle, which is really interesting. You know, in Jacob's story, he never was healed of that limp. He always limped after that. He still went on to do great things, but he always limped. And that's what today's sermon is about, is limping to pay it forward. As Sister Chittister writes... Enduring struggle is the price to be paid for becoming everything we are meant to be in this world. The fullness of the self comes to birth the only real way it can, in labor and under trial. So, make no mistake about it, in the midst of where we are right now in this world, life's struggles can leave us limping and scarred. All of us, even Jacob, the father of 
all of these and connected all these religions, even someone as auspicious as Jacob. But Jacob's life did not stop because he struggled and got hurt. You know, he could have focused on that limp the rest of his life and he could have let it stop him. But he didn't. He began limping into the full potentiality of his spiritual future, and that's also quotable. He began limping into the full potentiality of his spiritual future. Jacob was scarred by struggle, and yet he was transformed by hope, building a new spiritual future for us all. He became a co-creator with God in this earthly miracle business, creating a new earth as it is in heaven. As I mentioned, Jacob went on to have 12 sons who themselves became the birth parents of the 12 tribes of Israel, ultimately birthing the faith tradition into which Jesus was born. So that's a little bit of your Old Testament or Hebrew Bible teaching for today, some meat to carry with you. I urge you to read more about Jacob and read this story from Genesis. Hank, maybe you can put on in the in the um, Facebook live feed, the passage that you read, the scripture passage, and the citation so that people can read it online. But like Jacob, theologians and pastors also limp. We too have been scarred by struggle, and we understand the life-changing power of spiritual transformation and the power of hope. Just ask any one of our pastors if they've been scarred by struggle. Just ask them, and they'll tell you. The answer is yes. Now, I have heard it takes only a second to burn your hand, but the scar can last a lifetime. Have you ever heard that? It can take only a second to burn your hand, but the scar can last a lifetime. So the only question is, do we live in the scar of the past or limp into the hope of a new future? That really is the only question once you've been scarred. Do you live into the, in the scar of the past or do you limp into your new future? Because we don't know yet what the scars of this pandemic will be long term. We're, we're right in the middle of living it. We don't know what, we're, what that's going to mean. But we do know that we're living in the midst of an economic crisis not seen since the Great Depression with massive job loss, a broken unemployment system, and more and more people, including our nation's children, now living in hunger and poverty due to the pandemic. You know, part of the school decision is we have so many kids who don't eat unless they go to school. And that's part of the wrestle that we have right now with sending kids back to school is so many of them don't eat or they face food insecurity if they don't get those backpacks full of food for the weekend when they go home. So Jacob's story today resonated deeply with me, as did Jesus's miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Because the scar of hunger and poverty have shaped my ministry for decades. In my early years, I held on to Jesus's bread miracle stories. I held on to those for dear life. So for those of you who are new to us, if you're watching online, if you're new in the sanctuary, if you haven't been at St. John's for very long, I want to share with you today something that we call the practice of Christian testimony. How many of you have heard of the practice of Christian testimony? 
It's sharing a personal story that demonstrates the power of our faith tradition to change lives. How many of you have got shared a Christian testimony or shared your personal story with someone? Some of you have. Some of you have told me your stories. It can change your life. So sometimes in order for this to work and to be helpful and to help each of you learn how to tell your story, sometimes I have to go first. So I don't share very often about some of where and why I am where I am today, but sometimes it's helpful. So I was asked to share this today, and I hope that you find it helpful. But I came from what we used to call a broken home. How many of you, and what a terrible phrase, right? So I came from what was called a broken home, and my home was definitely broken. By the time I was in high school, I was more hungry than full. So my only ticket out of hunger and poverty was a college education. I worked very hard in high school, and I earned an academic scholarship to Denison University, and I was on my way. But I still struggled with hunger and poverty while I was in college. My family was broken, and I didn't have a place to live when I wasn't in school. So I worked a lot. Now, this was back when we didn't talk. Remember, we were told not to talk about stuff way back when? And there was a lot of shame associated with poverty and hunger and family dysfunction and all of that. So that was the culture back then. So I worked a lot to work my way through school. And I would ride my bike. If you can imagine that 10-speed bike with those curved handles, I would ride my bike. It was brown. I didn't have a light on it, and I held a flashlight when it was dark. I would ride my bike because I couldn't afford a car. And I would bike several miles each way from the Denison campus in Granville over to Route 79 in Heath to the carryout store in the mall at that time where I sold beer, wine, and lottery tickets to earn below minimum wage. And yes, I sold beer, wine, and lottery tickets to fund my future. And it was to try to pay for my books and toiletries and the other necessities that were not covered by the academic scholarship during the school year. Now, this one off-campus job plan worked fairly well during the school year. But in the summer, there was no dorm room, no budget meal plan, no support system for college students. So in the summer, I rented a room this place has been torn down now, but I'll always be grateful. I rented a room at the YWCA at West Church Street in Newark. Thank God for the Y. YMCA. Anyway, that's my joke. But I rented a room. I still tear up about the people who funded some of this stuff that helped struggling people. So I rented a room at the YWCA on West Church Street in Newark to have some place to live when I wasn't in college. And it was my only option at the time. It was the cheapest place in town for a young woman. So as soon as school ended, I also got a second job at a 7-Eleven store, again for less than minimum wage at the time. And I rode my bike from job to job for miles, trying to save what I needed for my books and school supplies for the coming year. 
But there was only one problem with my plan. It turned out that I had to work two weeks before I was paid at that second job. And I had to use my meager wages from job number one to pay the YWCA for my room rent. Has anybody ever been in that position where you have to wait two weeks for your first paycheck? Can I get an amen online? I see some hands in the sanctuary. Some of you have been there. That's a tough place to be. So I had to wait two weeks before I was paid from job number two. And I had no food because school was out and the college cafeteria was closed for the summer. But I should say that I almost had no food. When I looked in my little closet in the Y that I shared with the roommate who had so many issues, she had so many issues, but when I looked in that little closet that was my space, I still had one loaf of bread and one small jar of peanut butter left from school. It was one loaf of bread and one jar of peanut butter. To this day, I remember exactly what that looked like. Exactly. One loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter to last for two weeks. Two weeks of riding my bike miles every day. Two weeks of standing on my feet, running a cash register for endless hours and two low-paying jobs. Oh, the despair of that time. I despaired that my circumstances would never improve as I grew hungry yet again. Because that's the problem with hunger, right? We get hungry every meal. We get hungry every day. We get hungry every week. It's not something that's cured with, with one meal. But back then, when I was 19 years old, a long time ago now, so I don't want any of you to worry because I'm fine now. But that was a long time ago. But back then, when I was 19 years old, I had not yet transformed my scars. And I was too ashamed to, and I did not know how to, ask for help for myself. How many of you have been there? You don't have to own this online, but I know some of you have had that same experience. You're just too ashamed to, or you don't know how to ask for help for yourself. So my bread miracle, in the midst of that despair came in the form of an older woman that we called Miss Jean. Miss Jean had continued to work for and help out at the college, even though arthritis had crippled her back and her hands, and she limped. Have you ever seen somebody like that who keeps working and they're just kind of bowed over by the the weight of the world and the weight of the work? But Miss Jean came to visit me at the Y. And to this day, I don't know exactly how she became aware of my need, but she did know that I was living at the Y that summer. Miss Jean came to visit me in my hunger with a bag of groceries in her hand. Kraft mac and cheese on sale, five for a dollar. How many of you remember back when you could get Kraft mac and cheese, five for a dollar? That was the ramen noodles back then, right, for college students? Kraft mac and cheese, five for a dollar, along with dented cans of fruit and vegetables. You could get those for 10 cents a piece. And she also brought some more PB&J. And the next week, Miss Jean brought another bag of groceries and then another bag of groceries and so on for the rest of the summer. 
never anything fancy or expensive. But I did not go hungry that summer. Though her arthritic limp made it hard for her to walk, Miss Jean took very seriously her Christian obligation to pay it forward with love to help the least of these. Miss Jean, when she would bring her groceries, she would talk a lot about the Great Depression and how folks had helped her and her family when they had no food and no money. I can't help but think that years from now, people will talk about the great pandemic and why they're helping years from now because of the help they received during the pandemic. Miss Jean understood how to pay it forward long before the contemporary movie of that same title. So even when I had saved some money to pay her back that college summer, Miss Jean wouldn't take my money ever. She did not let me pay her back. Because when Jesus said to the disciples who were facing a sea of hungry people in the gospel of Matthew, you give them something to eat. That's exactly what Miss Jean heard. You give them something to eat. And that's exactly what she did because she read that Bible literally. Miss Jean did not wait for God to perform a miracle when she came upon someone in need. As a follower of Jesus, she understood her obligation to participate in the miracle process and to pay forward the miracles she had received in life. So Miss Jean gave hungry people food and struggling students advice. It was as simple as that for her. You give food to hungry people and you give struggling students advice. Because she knew that for some people, the physical meal was more than merely filling a hungry belly. The meal was also a spiritual meal, a meal that could help. It could heal. It could open a path towards hope as it had for her so many years before during the Great Depression. So despite her meager circumstances and difficult life, Miss Jean had become a co-creator with God in the earthly miracle business, creating a new earth as it is in heaven, as she gave everyone their daily bread to the best of her ability. So today, to each of you online and each of you here in the sanctuary, make no mistake about it. Even if you are still wrestling with struggle in your life and lack in your life, especially during this pandemic, even if you are still wrestling with that struggle, or whether you are finally limping to pay it forward, things are starting to work out for you. You are part of God's miracle process in this world. Each of you is part of God's miracle process in this world. Because there is no such thing as your bread or my bread. There isn't only our bread, as in give us our daily bread on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the miracle. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Abundant God, help us to remember that each of us is part of your answer to the cries of the world. As we limp forward into each new day during this pandemic, help us to rejoice in each opportunity to serve, in each chance to shed light and brighten another's life. That may make all the difference in their life and in ours. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.